I don't think people realize how hard the chef life is. So it taught me a few things, but the most important thing was it changed my mentality. It went from, oh, I'm not sure I can do this to actually I can do it. If I can go from being in corporate finance to being a chef and actually becoming a sous chef in under a year, I don't think anything's impossible. And that gave me the confidence and the thick skin to just try new things. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to learn from my mistakes. And I'm not afraid to adapt to my environment. And actually, those are skills that I think that schools should start teaching. This is Stories for the Future a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the future full of fantastic opportunities. My name is Veslemö Klavnesberge, and I'm trying to figure out how we can all live good lives, have exciting jobs, and at the same time, take good care of the planet and everyone living here. I want to unlock the superpowers of everyday people so that together we can co-create a future we're all excited about. So come join me. The future is up to us and I know we can make it a good one. Have you ever wanted to try something new? A new job, a totally different career path or just a small project very different from what you do today? And then your next thought is, no, I couldn't. That doesn't fit with who I am, my professional identity, what people expect from me, and on and on it goes. This week's guest is here to tell you that actually, yes, you can. I met Alan Tang at the Portfolio Collective. I've been talking a lot about that lately, haven't I? And we will talk more about that later in the episode. So if you are curious, stay tuned. Because the portfolio career path is very closely tied to what we're talking about today. Alan is a champion of the squiggly career. Himself having gone from corporate finance to chefing to become a multi-hyphenate advisor to seed and series A startups. He's currently acting as the chief of staff at the Portfolio Collective, teaching at Synthesis, writing on Medium when he finds the time, along with the occasional private catering gig. Can you see why Alan inspires me? I hope you will feel the same after listening to this episode. And you might end up thinking that a squiggly career path sounds quite attractive. Enjoy! Welcome, Alan, to Stories for the Future. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy that we could take the time to do this. Uh, so how is London these days? Wet. Uh, <laughs> it's wet, yeah, here as well. <laughs> wet and cold, but it's been fun. Um, I've moved back to London after two years in Sussex, and it's great to, to see how active it is. You know, the Halloween costumes last night, yes. the fireworks. It's just... It is the city that, you know, is the heartbeat of England, I think. Yeah. I really like London as well. So, uh, yeah. When are you next coming over? Yeah, I'll let you know. (laughs) Uh, It's uh, one of my favorite cities, that's for sure. Absolutely. 100%. So, we have to start with, um, who are you? So, my name's Alan Tang. I am currently the Chief of Staff at the Portfolio Collective. Uh, We are a 
community of 7,000 um, ex-consultants, ex-Googlers, ex-founders, ex-directors who have one thing in common, uh, and that is that we, we have portfolio careers. Yeah, and that is how I met you as well. So, uh, and we will get back to the portfolio collective and the portfolio career thing. We have to talk more about that and that as well. So, but this season uh, on Stories for the Future is all about how we can all have a positive impact on the future through mm-hmm. our career, our careers. And in that regard, I'm absolutely certain that it's important that we actually do something we enjoy. <laughs> and I think you are quite conscious about your choices when it comes to the way that you spend your time. Uh, And I know based on our previous conversations that you are one of the people I I get the most inspiration from these days uh, when it comes to the way that you have like pivoted and changed your career and uh, made this, you call it your squiggly career path. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? It's interesting you say that, and I'm honored to be the one that you know inspires you. So my background, uh, being Chinese, my parents almost forced me to have a real focus on money, on retiring early, on having an easy life. And you know that's why I studied economics. That's why I uh, worked in corporate finance for six years. But what I realized was that if it doesn't make you happy, why are you doing this? And it took me a, a long time to get to that point. So I spent six years in corporate finance, earning good money for, you know, I bought a flat when I was 24. Um, I felt really unsatisfied. I, I don't know if, if anyone else can relate, but that feeling of being very hollow, you know, you just see a number in your bank account go up and, you know, you go out, you meet friends, you have dinner, you go on holidays, but it felt very, it didn't feel real. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I quit my high paying, high flying career, uh, mm-hmm. to become a chef, something that I've always wanted to do, but my parents were very against and I, I loved it. I loved having something tangible at the end of the day. I loved it when a customer was just, you know, would eat your food and start smiling and have that feeling of fulfillment, I guess. Um, and working really closely with a team, getting to know them really well. You know, I saw them more than I saw my family, my friends, and they became almost like family. And to this day, you know, eight, seven years on, we're still really good friends. We still visit each other. Um, and it really changed my life. It opened my mind to a few things. And it probably is the thing that kick-started my squiggly career path because going from an office to a chef environment, two very polar opposites. You know, One is organized structured uh, very professional and then the chef chef life is also very professional but you know there's a lot of swearing a lot of like <laughs> shortcuts taken you have to be super efficient you have to multitask you have to really be fast uh, and i don't think people realize how hard the chef life is so it taught me a few things but the most important thing was it changed my mentality it went from oh, I'm not sure I can do this, to actually I can do it. If I can go from being in corporate finance to being a chef and actually becoming a sous chef in under a year, I don't think anything's impossible. And that gave me the confidence and the thick skin to just try new things. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to learn from my mistakes. And I'm not afraid to 
adapt to my environment. And actually, those are skills that I think that schools should start teaching. Yeah. Do, do you see, you know, when we talk about uh, career change, we often talk about your transferable skills. <laughs> do you see any transferable skills between uh, being a chef and being in corporate finance? It's funny you say that. So after being a chef, I started my consultancy firm to mm-hmm. help startups grow and scale. And I felt really rusty going into sort of finance roles, the operational roles, the legal roles. I hadn't held or read a document, God knows how long. So it felt really rusty. But in terms of transferable skills, massively, communication, mm. multitasking, uh, dealing with pressure, making decisions, finding efficiencies. I think I've always been quite efficient, but since working as a chef, I almost hyper-optimize my time and my processes now because it's built in me now. I, I have to do it. <laughs> And, you know, when working for startups, that's a huge positive because you build and scale processes that you know will last for the next 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah. So what made you leave being a chef? Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> work hours, perhaps? If, if money and sleep weren't important, <laughs> yeah. and I would do it for the rest of my life. But oh, wow. you're working... So I was on £16,000 a year living in London mm. uh, as my first chef job, um, which is nowhere near enough to, you know, you pay rent and then that's yeah. it. Um, but more importantly, it was the time. So I was working probably 16, 17 hours back to back, four days in a row. Um, and sometimes, you know, you go out with your friends, your, your colleagues afterwards, you don't sleep. And you know, in your 20s, it's okay. You move into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. I don't mm. see how it's possible. It's also quite lonely at times because all your non-hospitality friends are off when you're working and vice versa. So you yeah. don't really get to see them. I miss countless birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, you name it, like mm. Christmas even. I, I had to work on yeah, the 26th of December and I missed you know, Christmas with my family. It's it's the nature of the the beast, I guess. Um, And I just wanted more balance in life. So how did that uh, that experience, um, that chef experience, uh, help you decide where to move after that? Because then you had had that kind of awakening around how you wanted to live your life and everything. So how did you choose your next step? It kind of, I wanted more balance. So when I was chefing, I was also doing a bit of private catering. I was doing a bit of tutoring uh, to pay the bills. And then what I realized was actually there's a way for me to combine both worlds. So my corporate finance background with you know, the skills I learned as a chef and also to, to still have that passion. So I set up my own consultancy firm uh, and it enabled me to control my time and my my value as it were so i still do a bit of private catering uh mostly weddings uh, hendies uh you know halloween parties that sort of thing but i also it means that actually i can carve out time for that but also have time to do other things so the first job i got was um an ex-colleague wanted financial modeling uh for, for some battery storage and he said look can you build this for me and 
it was my bread and butter, so I built it for him. And then he recommended to me another friend, and that was sort of CRM um, and sales pipeline processing for a graduate international student's um, like career service. And that escalated into me joining a company called TaylorFire, which is influencer marketing, and I joined as their head of finance uh, and eventually evolved into head of ops, head of you know, legal, head of HR. Uh, and this is where this, I, I guess, jack of all trades, master of none, mm. uh, special projects sort of really got to me because I love the variety. I love the, you know, the different skills that you learn. I love being thrown into the deep end and just having to figure it out. Um, and yeah, it just escalated from there. And now, well, I'm chief of staff at the Portfolio Collective. I teach uh, a school founded by Elon Musk called Synthesis. Uh, I am helping a kimchi manufacturer build their new factory. I am <clears throat> uh, helping a employer brand agency do their ISO 27001 accreditation. Um, lots of fingers and lots of different pies. Yeah. So you you really have a, a portfolio career. And isn't this interesting how we, we can actually do so many different things? And I, I really like that you're you're doing some catering on the side and then you have it's so it's this variation. It's uh, it's very appealing to me, but I guess we're uh, we all have different personalities. So for some people that is is not uh, the road to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, mean, what would you say? What would you say are the biggest challenges around working? Definitely. Like that? Well, before I jump into that, I think it's I can completely relate. A lot of my friends ask me, "What are you doing now? Why do you keep changing jobs?" Well, why don't you stay somewhere and just you know earn equity, earn a huge salary, yeah. have an easy life? And yes, I could do, but it doesn't appeal. You know that being a, like a, a wage slave doing the same thing day in day out. Yes, there's a, an appeal from a stability perspective, and maybe you know it help it make my life easier financially because I can get a mortgage easier. But long term, I just think it's not intellectually stimulating. Mm. I wouldn't feel like I was contributing to the world to the world. I wouldn't be learning as much. So <clears throat> that would frustrate me. I guess the key challenges are managing your time. So mm. my calendar is always chocker. Um, you know, trying to find time to do other things, trying to balance your personal work life. It's very hard, especially when you're working from home, there are no boundaries. You could you could work to two, three AM in, in the morning and mm carry on so there are boundaries you have to set you have to be quite disciplined uh learning to say no i think is a really important thing so you have to say it in the right way so that you don't alienate people but that you also protect yourself um and then probably i would say finding someone to learn from when you're in a portfolio career you join in as a consultant you join the company as a consultant you don't you're expected to be able to deliver straight away and any mistakes, you know, they're under the microscope. So because you also don't have a line manager, you also don't have a boss, it's very hard to find someone to learn from and to mm. sort of develop those skills. So I've had to find my own mentors, my own, you know, skill development workshops. Uh, and that probably is is a hard thing, especially when you're under time pressure to do all your other projects. Yeah. Uh, but that is where the portfolio collective comes in. Isn't it? <laughs> so, at least for me, that has been, uh, yeah, really, really helpful, uh, and a lot of uh, great people to learn from. 
So being chief of staff uh, of the portfolio collective, uh, you can, you can uh, like, how would you describe it? What's the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm still figuring it out. And I've actually spent uh, a couple of hours speaking to other chief of staffs from um, the chief of staff collective uh, just to understand what the role means because it means different things to different companies. You could mm. be, you know, an organizer. You could be the, the quarterback organizing the strategy. You could be a project manager. You could be very hands-on. Um, how I see it personally is you are, it's almost the next step up from sort of special projects. You are involved in a lot of different things and you are the one facilitating the conversation making sure that everyone's opinions and ideas are factored in uh, you don't make any decisions you let the, the other c-suite you know the ceo the coo make the decisions but you're the one doing the the groundwork getting all the ideas together organizing the meetings coordinating the meetings and also acting as the um the voice of reason i think sometimes as the chief of staff you're almost the one that has to bring the conversation back in line so when you're in a, you know, a cxo meeting you might start talking about know, the tech platform and then it would go off onto a different tangent a different project mm. your job is to say hang on this meeting is all about x we should focus on this let's let's focus back on the problem at hand and then at the end summarizing okay these are the action points this is what we need to do mm. uh, to be honest i'm still learning that as, a, as an introvert it's not very natural for me to jump in and sort of exert that but i'm learning that process as i go along it's a bit weird in the portfolio collective's perspective because my job is twofold so one hand on one hand i'm the chief of staff on the other hand i'm doing the client delivery so winning new clients for their um, talent partnerships service so it's a head it's a bespoke head hunting service with a consultancy uh, approach um so we we are, I'm winning clients for that. I'm delivering uh, projects to clients on that. I'm coming at processes to scale the team. So at the moment, we have four members of our community who have joined as talent consultants. So they will be helping us scale that service. Um, and it's lovely, you know, to be able to give work to our consultants, to, uh, to our community, to enable them to have another facet to their portfolio career. And hopefully we can scale that to, you know, 10, 20. Mm. Very exciting. A lot happening in that uh, uh, at the Portfolio Collective, I can see. A lot happening, uh, maybe too much. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great. I mean, we've just raised some money. Um, we're doing a crowdfund at the moment. And the idea is that this money will then go towards the, the tech development so that we can actually work on our, uh, maybe this is top secret, but I'll share now. It's, uh, we've got a mentor-to-mentor, a mentorship program coming up. We have got... Um, some matching uh, i guess skills matching ideas that will come up so instead of you coming a client coming to us and saying i'm looking for a finance director with x y and z skills you'll be able to type that into a you know, site and you'll be able to say i'm looking for this and it will churn out a shortlist for you based on people from our community mm-hmm. and you know we that means we can deliver potentially with a bit of ai the perfect shortlist candidate shortlist for you very little cost you know i don't know about you but recruiters charge way too much yeah 20 percent of salary and it's just i don't see how that can be reasonable you know i've i've worked in recruitment firms i know how hard it is um but if you're earning twenty thousand pounds for 
don't know, a week's worth of work. Is mm. that fair? Is that reasonable? <laughs> I don't <not>. know. <laughs> yeah, but this is exciting. I'm looking forward to see see how it progresses. Very, very interesting. Uh, so you, uh, uh, the good life plus the interesting job plus the happy planet. That is kind of what I'm looking for with this podcast. And uh, <clears throat> this is not always easy to find that perfect balance. But I, I, I read your, you have this very nice blog on Medium and I have been reading a lot there. <clears throat> so I think that you you are working a lot on this, both the work-life balance, but also how you can contribute to the world. So how do you, what do you think about this and how, how, how is it going? <laughs> well, I mean, on the writing, I find it very hard. It's not natural to me. It was actually a challenge set by my previous boss, Lauren, to say, actually, you should write more, you know, get involved in that because it's good for your personal brand, it's good for your creativity. Is also an outlet and I find it a struggle to be honest it's taken me a long time to post the last one and as a bit of a perfectionist I want it to be right but the more what I found is the more genuine you are the less editing you make the better it's received because it comes across as authentic yes. um, and that's that for me is a super important thing now I think you should be how you write how you come across how you speak you know, how you write an email should be you. And mm. a lot of people struggle with that. You, you know, I, I, I read these emails which say, dear Alan, how are you? I've never met you before. You know, I know you're in, you have this ingrained in you to ask this question, but it, it feels very fake. Mm. So there's a few, there's, there's definitely a few learnings for me there, but um, I've loved writing. I've, you know, I've loved also talking to people, resonate with some of the ideas that i speak about you know i was talking to someone about um having cold showers recently and it's just yes. it's interesting that people talk about this sort of thing uh intermittent fasting we were talking about you know how to make your oh, how to have a portfolio career you know how to manage that there's lots of different facets to it and for me it's just a way to share my learnings and my failings in a scalable way because i think if someone can learn from that and actually have a better life, a better career, and not mm. have to go through the same thing I went through. You know, I've, I've achieved something. Um, but to find time to, to write and work and have a happy life is, is very hard. Um, but I guess to go back to your original question, I, ever since COVID, I've consciously tried to move away from, I guess, profit-driven companies to more companies that have a mission statement, have something that I really resonate with. So, Portfolio Collective is a very good example. They try and prov they they try and help professionals start and maintain a portfolio career. And for me personally, I see that as the future of work. You know, mm. having a a nine to five job and that's it is very dangerous. It's all your eggs in one basket. Um, it's also possibly a bit boring. Uh, you're not really learning as much as you potentially could. You're not earning as much as you possibly could. And I'm seeing a lot of change within my friends with my social network that people are starting to have side hustles to think about passive income and you know portfolio career is a huge part of that so that was something that I, you know, really attracted me to, to the portfolio career uh, but that's not the only thing right so synthesis is the other one i i found school really boring to be honest because mm. you're taught how to pass exams you're taught how to memorize 
huge chunks of text, you know, dates in history, uh, locations around the world. I didn't really learn anything that I could really use, maybe writing and analytical skills, but it wasn't transferable to the sense that I could go to uni, uh, I could go, you know, live on my own and actually be able to survive. I went to uni and a few of my friends didn't even know how to use a microwave. That, that That's not, you know, I don't think that's normal. So um, synthesis is amazing in that it teaches students from a young age how to work together, how to show leadership, how to problem solve, how to communicate with each other, how to deal with setbacks. So the best example is um, there's a student in one of our classes and she was in a competition and she was, you know, um, playing this, this, I, this I think challenge. you have to say her age. These kids are... They're eight. Yes, eight, exactly. Eight to 11. So, yeah. sorry, that's, that's a very good point. So she's yeah. eight. And she was in this competition and it's the final game. And she got nominated to be the team leader. And, you know, high-pressure environment. She had the clarity of mind and also the confidence to say, and self-awareness to say, I'm not the perfect person for this role in this environment. I don't deal with pressure well, so I'm going to nominate Tom to be the leader. And I just thought to myself, under that sort of pressure, under that expectation, to be able to sort of say that and delegate that is incredible. And I genuinely see students who join Synthesis, the majority of those will be future leaders in mm. a work environment, in a you know, not-for-profit environment. They just, they're so much further ahead than I was at that age. You know, I think I was playing computer games at that age. Yeah. So um, I, that's something that I'm super passionate about. I have started sponsoring some students. Uh, I know synthesis don't currently do, uh, they can't currently afford either grants or discounts to, I guess, families that can't quite afford it. So mm. I've started putting aside some money every month, uh, you know, a couple of hundred US dollars just to sponsor a few families who have been in my um, synthesis group and couldn't afford it. And now, you know, hopefully they can use that money to, again, subscribe, mm. have another opportunity. Because like most economists, I do think education is one of the core foundations of breaking you know, the poverty cycle mm. or to, to have a, a better life. Um, so, yeah, that's something I'm super passionate about. And then other things are, as a, as a foodie, you know, helping eating alive out with their kimchi and the kimchi manufacturing is super exciting. Um, I would say food as an industry, as a business, is not the right thing to do if you want to make money. But that's why I also have a lot of respect for Pat and Glynn who run Eating Alive because they do it as a passion. What did you call it? Uh, Eaten Alive. They're a kimchi okay. manufacturer in the UK. Uh, ah. One of the best kimchis I've had. And actually, I, like, I'm just super proud. They were Michelin star chefs and they gave it up to, to start Eaten Alive. So yeah. at the moment, I'm just helping them out. And, you know, these are the sort of projects I focus on. It's more about, is there an interest, a passion? Or is yeah. there something I can learn from? Or is there um, a social benefit? So, you know, synthesis is the perfect example, mm, mm. but I'm still looking, you know, I'm still looking for something that maybe is in the sustainability space, given my background in renewable energy. Yeah. I would love to work on projects that are, you know, sequester carbon in an effective, scalable way, or, you know, uh, an ocean cleaning um, platform, because at the moment you hear these stories, which are really disgusting about landfill, about plastic in the ocean, about, you know, um, 
sewage being leaked into the lakes and rivers in England. It mm. just feels like in this mm. day and age with the technology we have, with the education we have, we shouldn't be doing this. No, we shouldn't. It's, it's quite primitive in a way <laughs> when you think about what we what we are able to do how we can how we can let this happen so i was always going to ask you more about uh, synthesis i think that you maybe you have mentioned the the main parts but i i think this is so fascinating uh, fascinating and I, i will put a link in the show notes so that people can go in and check the um, some videos uh, that are in there because it's so great to see these uh, kids they are between eight and 14 is it yeah the i think the maximum age is 15 15 and they're problem solving and collaborating and they call it they say their mission is to cultivate super collaborators the kind of people who can work together to solve our civilization's most challenging problems <laughs> so yeah exactly what we need um so yeah, really fascinating. And I, I have two two boys myself in the right age. So <laughs> I'm I'm definitely looking into that. It's um, it's great though, because it doesn't feel like work. You know, no. they're playing these games with a group of friends that they, they've never met in person, but you know, are in India, in China, yeah. in Tokyo, in Australia. And you, you build not only do you build a huge network, but you're learning learning whilst having fun and that's the that's the holy grail right you're you're enjoying yourself but you also you have an incentive to to try and learn something else yeah and it's down to the teachers to be honest the teachers there encourage this sense of failure they use socratic questioning um in the teaching style it's very hands-off and you're not you're almost not a teacher you're a facilitator mm. which ties in really well with that chief of staff going full circle yeah. actually that chief of yeah. staff role because you are there just asking leading questions, letting the students figuring it out. And the one takeaway I'd say is really valuing the power of silence. When you just don't speak, mm. someone will take up that space. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, having this portfolio career and it's, it's kind of being an entrepreneur, wouldn't you say? Yes and no. I mean, it's funny because a lot of my clients have asked me, why don't you hire hire more people, scale out your business, do more consultancy, and then you can just take a step back and be the the guy that just <laughs> is the face in the brand. And to be honest with you, I see this as a a lifestyle business. I don't mm. want the responsibility of having someone on there and then, you know, me deciding I've had enough, I'm gonna become a snowboard instructor to mm to make someone redundant you know i've had to make do that decision before it's not a nice experience and that probably weighs on my mind a lot here um and to be honest i you know i would be going against myself because that's not a portfolio career right having employing someone full-time to do no. a job is not really a portfolio career it could be i mean you know, if i gave them multiple clients multiple projects but at the moment is not something that i've thought about and maybe i'm too risk averse which feels a bit weird to say that given my background but <laughs> maybe i'm too risk averse to to be an entrepreneur i have a few ideas in my mind that maybe i could run so one of them is you know a kimchi subscription business one of them is mm. um like a, a chinese soup business like a lot of food related actually um 
I also have one which is about uh, management of flats uh, in the UK. It's a whole, it's a disaster. And lots of agents don't run their flats, their, their uh, properties in the correct way. So there is a scalable solution there. But again, I need to think about actually, is it something I want to do? Because yeah. running a startup, running your own business is not easy. A lot of mm. responsibility, a lot of risk, uh, and especially in this economic climate, mm. probably not the right thing to do. No. So I was also thinking about like uh, having a portfolio career. It's you don't have that the same safety net or the like the the cushions that you would have if you had a normal normal job, you know? So what I was aiming at was when you when you wake up on a really wet morning in London <laughs> and the the world seems to be a little bit off. What is it deep down that drives you in your work <laughs> what makes you put in that extra gear um one thing i love is closure i i like starting a project and seeing it to the end even if it's mm. incredibly tough even if it's hard i i almost need that closure um and the other thing is the chance to learn something new so in my day-to-day -day job something always comes up like something unexpected something just crazy will come up and you almost learn to embrace that and that keeps me on my toes. It keeps things exciting. But more importantly is the fact that you know what you're doing makes a difference. I think mm. if I think back to my corporate finance career, I'd be writing decks, building financial models, and none of this would see the light of day. And, you know, maybe 10 years down the line, uh, an offshore wind farm would be built. And that for me was mm. not satisfying. Whereas now we make a decision, we pivot, we move quickly, and you can see something being built in front of your eyes, uh, the perfect example would be Wiser, uh, the the employer brand company that I, I was working for. So we, the CEO came up with this idea to celebrate uh, Wiser and he wanted to hold a party for friends, for colleagues, for, for clients called Wiser Festival. Mm -hmm. um, and we had two weeks to basically get a get find location um book out you know a ferris wheel mermaids llamas <laughs> uh tents get the caterers like all the all the stash all the t-shirts all the everything um and we had to move very very quickly but you know you could see this project this thing coming to to life and mm. it's amazing to say that actually a lot of the wiser employees to this day their favorite point in wiser's career or wiser's history is wiser festival so mm -hmm. like that sort of thing really sticks to mind because it means that you you've done something tangible you've mm. made a difference to someone's mm. life it's kind of like building a house you can see the concrete result yeah it's like building a house i mean i'd be too scared to build a house i don't know <laughs> if i would uh live in my own house but yes <laughs> yeah okay so we are approaching the end and this went really quick i think uh, but my my last my last question is always about the future and with everything happening in the world and uk you have had your your fair share the last year i would say <laughs> wouldn't you say so there's a lot happening <coughs> a lot of turbulent things but it's happening really quickly and we also have we are in a hurry to fix a lot of problems in the world so ideally 
where would you see the world be in three years' time? I would love to see a world where, well, there's no war in Ukraine. Yeah. That would be number one. I would say, actually, to see more development in the sustainability space. So I know there's lots of work being done through, say, Carbon 13 on uh, bioconcrete, on ways to sequester carbon, on ways to you know, monitor uh, like carbon credits. Uh, there's loads of work being done there, but it'd be nice to see that actually become something that was the norm rather than something that's innovative. Uh, you know, and for me, some of the, the key ways to do that is like better, uh, better battery storage um, because you know, renewable energy is intermittent. So having, say, good battery storage or ways to capture and store that energy would make UK a much more stable in terms of energy prices, but also you know, we, we would have to rely less on, say, coal power. Um, I'd love to see much more recycling and much more just reusability of things. So as an example, mm. a, lot of the, a lot of supermarkets now have started trialing um, a new way to get detergent. So you can bring in a bottle, you pour out the bot- uh, part of the detergent into that bottle and you don't need to take any, you know, there's no plastic waste. Yeah. And that should again become the norm. I know logistically it's a bit hard, but I would love to see that you know, mm. in every supermarket going forward because I don't know about you, but my, my plastic waste now is mm. much, much less because I try and I just try and avoid it, you know, going yeah. to grocery stores rather than supermarkets and um, going to you know, bring my own bottles to refill things, not using cling film, little things like this. I think mm. everyone can make a difference. And I think there's a conscious desire to do this, but the, the infrastructure needs to be there to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and then finally, to see more people having a portfolio career would be the other thing I'd love to see. Yes. You know, I, I do genuinely see it as the future of work. I see uh, more and more people trying it out. You know, at the Portfolio Collective, we have the Catapult course and more people are signing up to it. But it would, I would love for that to become the norm so that actually mm. you people aren't stereotyped for having a portfolio career because there is still a stigma, right? People think, oh, why are you doing this? Uh, mm. Why don't you have a normal career? And me after covid nothing's normal now no it's true yeah i can just highly recommend people going in and to check the portfolio collective and sign up for the catapult course it's it's great yeah i mean we wouldn't have met each other had it it not been for portfolio collective and the uh, networking events that those for me are the most valuable because you meet such wonderful interesting people with such great stories yeah you know Back in the day, I thought I was unique with my career pivots, but there are thousands of us, and yes. it's, it's brilliant to see. It's I I totally agree. Uh, <clears throat> and I had you are now number three, I think, from the portfolio collective that I had on my podcast. So I meet so many interesting people there. It's it's fantastic, and those networking events are are great. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I ended up finding this chief of staff role. Uh, I, I was in a call with Ben Legg, my CEO, former CEO of Google Europe. And I don't know if it's intentional, but I kept being put in a room with him and we just got talking. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a really good story. Yeah. So how how do people get in touch with you? If they're curious about your way of working, the portfolio collective or anything else? I mean, um Message me on LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, follow me on Medium and just drop me a message. I am also part of the Ops Nation 
community. So you can catch me there or you can catch me on the Portfolio Collective's uh, community. I'm easy, you know, all I want to do is give back and share some ideas. So if you want mentoring, coaching, just want to fancy a chat, you know, a coffee, yeah. a coffee, just let me know. I will put every all the links in the show notes and um, people should definitely get in touch with you. It's very interesting to uh, talk with you every time. So uh, thank you so much, Alan. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been an honor. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about on this podcast. How testing, experimenting, pivoting and constantly exploring and learning new things can make your career both really enjoyable and much more fulfilling and meaningful. The squiggly career path. I really like that term. I hope you found this as inspiring as I did. And if you are the type who likes taking baby steps, maybe you can just try out a small side project. You don't have to do anything drastic right away. You can feel your way into new opportunities. And you can also look into the Portfolio Collective if you are curious about that. I highly recommend it. All links and everything else that you should need will be in the show notes. And if you still have questions, please just get in touch with me or directly with Alan. Until next time, have a great week and I will talk to you soon. Stories for the Future is made and edited by me, Veslemøy Klavnesberge. You will find all links and information for this episode and everything else related to this podcast on storiesforthefuture.no. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like to show your support and make it easier for other people to find this podcast, I would be really grateful if you would leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Stories for the Future.